Seawall to strike away. Here he comes. Cave, a fly ball to right field over his Carroll. He's got it. And the Arizona Diamondbacks are headed to the World Series. Welcome to Friday night on the fan pregame. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Sportsnet, and Sportsnet 360. Ailish Forfar, Justin Cuthbert. And it is World Series night, game one. We got that up for you at 8 p.m. across the network, of course. And it's like we don't get a championship night often. This is the beginning of something really special in baseball. And I think people are trying to figure out how to feel because these are two teams that not a lot of people, maybe nobody, had meeting in the World Series, maybe one of the most unpredictable matchups ever. And here we are. And how do we feel about it, Justin? No, I mean, if you pre- if you predicted this World Series, then we have to check your work because <laughs> I- I'm calling shenanigans on that. It truly is a World Series and a championship series, as you mentioned, that has kind of fallen out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And-, and I say fallen out of the sky because these teams have been bad for a long, long time. The Texas Rangers and Arizona Diamondbacks, if you look back, neglect this year, look back at the three previous years, so two plus a COVID-shortened season, Both of them won 39% of their games in three combined seasons. So two teams that have been at the very bottom of the standings Mm -hmm. collectively among baseball in their respective leagues. And then it all came together for both of them at at the same time here. And at the most important time, given that they played really, really good baseball to get to this point. So it's not something that I don't think anyone really, really expected uh, but they're here, and they deserve to be here because they played so well here in October so far. So we have a bunch of interesting stats to provide later in the show about this matchup uh, that not many people predicted. We're going to chat with Jesse Rogers in a little bit here, um, coming from Game 1 ahead of tonight's matchup. But it, it, the interesting thing for me is nobody believed in the Diamondbacks. Let's just start with them specifically. The sure. snakes. The snakes are alive. They've had this underdog mentality that it it isn't even an underdog mentality it's like nobody believed in them but themselves in that locker room in that clubhouse the way that they have been able to will themselves to a world series i wonder how much of that is some momentum motivation that they can actually continue to do this because it has been outstanding really the way that they have tackled goliath after goliath and now they're here at the opportunity to win a World Series. Yeah, it seems like they've taken teams by surprise so far, right? Mm-hmm. If you beat the Dodgers, then you beat the it's... Phillies. You beat two teams that were sort of, uh, you know, pillars of National League postseason baseball the last few years. So I think the the surprise thing is something that works in their favor. But mm-hmm. we'll go through uh, everything uh, in terms of matchups and key X factors a little later. And we do some of that with our next guest here, a Jesse Rogers, ESPN MLB insider live from game one. Uh, Jesse, uh, good afternoon. Thanks for doing this for us. Sure thing. Sure thing. How's it going? Uh, we're going pretty well here. So we just mentioned both these two teams. If you neglect this year when they all or they both had, you know, uh, bounce back seasons, if you want to call it that, or breakthrough seasons is probably the better way to put it. But three years combined for both of them, they won 39% of their games over a three-year span, the two of them. So these two teams have just suddenly turned it on. But when you think about that, when you think about how they were bad for so long, what does that tell us? Is that something that other teams should be looking at where a commitment to a rebuild is important or just making sure that you're... Uh, not putting your best out there all the time is paramount because these two teams have gone through rebuilds. They were bad for a little while, and now all of a sudden they're on the cusp of a championship. 39% for you. What does that say? Yeah, I don't know how much 
tells us because both these teams got here in different ways. Remember, the Rangers were losing seasons for six straight years in a row and they spent a ton of money the last two off seasons. That's how they got here. The Diamondbacks just developed young players and have guys that are 23, 24 that are really mature and playing well above their years, right? Well older than their years. So it, it, I don't know what it tells us. It does tell us, though, when you, you make the right decisions, you'll, you know, you'll benefit from it in a few years, but you also have to spend most of the time. I mean, the Diamondbacks are here from by a razor-thin margin. I mean, they were that close to losing against the Phillies. So that their way, uh, but they have got players that are coming through and really expected that. So again, if the Rangers didn't spend or the Ducks did, we might have an overriding theme. But it's two different paths, two different ways of getting it done. So I'm not sure what exactly to learn, other than make the right decisions when you do spend and make the right decisions when you draft and develop. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I I think both the teams are similar in some ways in that, you know, with some lean seasons, they assembled some cost-effective talent, but the Rangers responded after that assembly of talent to spend a lot of money, and and that probably is the major difference when you look at how both these two teams uh, got here. But road success has also been key for both these two teams. In your experience, teams that are good on the road, like what does that say about a team? How important is that? Uh, in order to have like long-term success or championship success? And what sort of teams win on the road? What do you need in order to win on the road? Well, I think you need to be able to win in different ways, right? I think in the postseason, you need to be able to overcome adversity. Um, how you develop that, I'm not exactly sure. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, you need to be able to take that punch and respond. Um, all these team players... Oh, I think we may have lost, lost Jesse there. So we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll work on uh, reconnecting with him there. But yeah, he brought up a good point. I mentioned, you know, 39% and how bad these two teams have been. Mm-hmm. I do think the Rangers are the best sort of example to draw from if you're a market like Toronto, where it's, hey, you can spend that money, but should you always be spending that money in order to be the best you can possibly be to win 85, 86, 87 games when maybe it's best to win 65 games one year and that's something that you know ownership groups are going to have to go through but texas being bad for the years that they were and able to get talent on their team to have a really deep batting order and then all of a sudden turn around and be like you know what we want to spend a hundred million annually on marcus Semyon, Corey seager mm-hmm. and jacob de i know jacob de has not been a factor in this in this run at all but having the best of both worlds is you know assembling talent when you can and then spending the money when it's wise. And I think that's the difference here between Texas and Arizona is that Texas is doing both, and Arizona is just kind of doing the cost-effective thing. Arizona's fleecing other teams. That's what Arizona's it's a, doing. It might be a surprise, right? Like all of a sudden, Arizona has all these assets that you've never really seen, and mm-hmm. wow, they're so good, and, and, I, and they I just think came up. Them- didn't take them seriously. I think that's it too, right? Like you look at Arizona, they're not a big market in terms of a team that you're circling as they're going to make spend a lot of money or they're going to make a push for it. They weren't even in the question years before this, right? And they go out and they they get some really good pieces. And even Moreno, one of them, wasn't proven yet, right? It was still a question mark. Now it is proven. It looks like a massive loss for the Blue Jays. But they took some risks maybe, and people didn't take them as seriously Mm -hmm. as they should be considered now in the World Series, whether they're going to be a sustainable World Series 
returner. That's something we can look at after this World Series. But being built in two different ways, in a sense, I think it's the shock factor. It's not the Astros. It's not the Dodgers. It's not the Yankees. It's something different, which has made this World Series interesting, but also maybe not repeatable. Well, what Texas is doing, I think, is repeatable. Because they just did bring it, you know, they, right. they, they took their time and then they struck while the iron was hot. It seems like for Arizona that they've just caught lightning in a bottle here. Like, yeah, obviously the Moreno trade was a great one for them. It might have been the, the missing piece. But they've had all these different guys just show up and deliver, whether it's Corbin Carroll, Gabriel Moreno. Uh, you look at the starting pitching. Uh, Fat, who we're going to see with the ball uh, very soon here uh, to start this series, just being a dominant force that no one really has a book on yet. And I think that's kind of the key where Arizona is this unknown quantity, but how often can you be an unknown quantity? Mm -hmm. Like teams catch up to you very, very quickly, and there might already be a a book being written right now that (laughs) the Texas Rangers are surely going to want to be looking at as they prepare for this series. I think Texas has that balance of, hey, this is like an organic build with real players that you developed and you drafted and you and you found making trades that were to subtract from a major league roster, at least initially, and then they supplement with real proven talent and a former World Series MVP in Corey Seager. I mean, I think if you're looking at what's more repeatable, it's definitely Texas, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean Texas is going to win this World Series. I This is the thing. is it, The series odds are pretty favorable for Texas, but I know that they have maybe more of the names and the pedigree, but there's something for me about a team like the Diamondbacks that is maybe that Cinderella story. Sometimes you can't put a number on that or a value on that or the feeling in that clubhouse or the feeling that they have when they get up to the plate and they have magic happen, right? That isn't something you see in the betting odds. It's hard. And maybe I glamorize it because, you know, how how can you not get romantic about baseball? This is something really unique. I'm actually, I, I was trying to trying to figure out if I was happy about this World Series matchup or not. And I think Blue Jays fans will be struggling with this a little bit too is because you're going to be constantly reminded about Gabby Moreno, and Lourdes Gurriel, and then even Marcus Semien. Like you're going to see a lot of Blue Jays mm-hmm. in different jerseys. But if you can distance your feelings from that and watch the success story and the interesting underdog getting to the final, can you enjoy this World Series? And I think it's in, we have the text line open to 595.90. Like, are you able, as a Blue Jays diehard fan or a Blue Jays casual fan, able to enjoy this World Series right now knowing kind of what you lost? I think it's going to be very difficult if you are a diehard Blue Jays fan to, uh, you know, respect and appreciate what the Arizona Diamondbacks Mm -hmm. are doing. Because it doesn't seem like that's something that'll ever be a possibility for the Blue Jays because the Blue Jays just see themselves as a different type of team. But why not? Why can't they do what the Arizona Diamondbacks did? Because we know. Uh, well, I don't... Because uh, it'll take a lot of years of pain. We know that, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, I know teams have done that in this market. The, the Toronto Maple Leafs kind of coined the phrase that there's going to be pain. Mm-hmm. But I just don't expect, given that what we've heard from Shapiro and from Atkins and from, you know, uh, you know, building a stadium, renovations to pay for a stadium, like... The thought has always been that the Blue Jays want to remain relevant and be the thing that everybody watches all summer long on Sportsnet. Like, that's that's part mm-hmm. of it, right? Like, there's uh, the Jays want to stay relevant. And it, if you're staying relevant for too long and being mediocre for too long, what cost does it come? Uh, and that's not to say they should be immediately doing what the Arizona Diamondbacks are doing because clearly Arizona has found something that is not just repeatable, that you can't just snap your fingers 
and achieve because it's a confluence of events. It's everything coming together at one time. It is all these different potential all-star, all-star players in the future arriving simultaneously, at least it seems. And that doesn't, and you have to make that big trade that puts you over the top mm-hmm. with Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. It just seems like it's something that you can't plan for. I think Texas is something you can plan for. Mm-hmm. And it's just taking a step back. You're not promising pain for five, six, seven years. It's maybe that we've got to make some trades that involve removing talent from the roster so that we have talent coming up. And I think that's the one thing as a Blue Jays fan that you'd be most concerned about. It's like, what do you have to be excited for in terms of the come up? The guys who are going to fill at the bottom of the roster and give you big hits at big times. Like that just feels like it's something Texas has that the Blue Jays don't. And oh, they're going to spend $100 million on a whim annually on some pretty elite players and be a destination for players coming in. We're working on getting Jesse Rogers back. Uh, we do have Game 1, Arizona, Texas, of the World Series tonight at 8 p.m., and that's on Sportsnet. And, of course, Sportsnet 590, the fan, uh, looking towards getting some more World Series chat in here, regardless if we get Jesse or not on the show. I think it's interesting about copycat leagues. You know, I, I don't know if baseball is the most copycat league. We see mm-hmm. it a lot in the NHL. But if you were to be a copycat league and the Arizona Diamondbacks win this World Series... I wonder how many baseball offices this offseason think, well, you know, we have a chance. Does this give false hope to some teams? And that's that's a dangerous world to live in when you're desperate. Maybe you're a desperate ownership. Maybe you're a desperate GM. You're a team with some talented young players. Hmm, I'm not trying to lay out a team that we know, but there's a couple things. Is it that close that a team does something and wins and you want to just copy and paste that resume? I, it'll be interesting to see. If Texas wins, I feel like... Nothing really changes in terms of the copycat league, right? You spend money, you get good players, you can win a World Series. Yeah, I mean, maybe the thing would be, hey, do we have to invest so much in a bullpen? I mean, we just saw the Toronto Blue Jays, you know, invest. And I wouldn't say even invest that much. They just had a really good bullpen. And I guess you're not apologizing for having a good bullpen. Uh, But Texas has not looked at pitching the same way the Blue Jays have. The Blue Jays are like, yeah, we're going to pitch it and we're going to play defense. And that's how we're going to be better. Uh, but this Texas team is just like, how can we just be as dangerous as possible at all times? And really, the Texas Rangers have gone to the World Series by just clubbing their way through <laughs> opponents. It has not worked and has not been, you know, a masterpiece at all stages. They've had some adversity that they've been able to overcome. But how they've overcome that adversity? Well, they just hit themselves out of it. And I think that is different from what Arizona's done. They've been, you know, can we get it to the bullpens? Can we get through the order a couple times and make sure that, you know, we can surprise you with our depth and what we have in the bullpen. If this goes to the bullpen, if this series is decided by the bullpens, I think you're going to feel pretty good if you're an Arizona Diamondbacks fan, but they've been relying more on, Hey, can we have some elite performances here? Can we rely on a couple arms in the bullpen? Can we pitch it really good with some unknown quantities uh, that we, that not many guys have seen much of. I mean, it's kind of been catch you by surprise from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Texas Rangers are pretty much a known quantity, but they are just so good from an offensive perspective that it's been hard for even elite teams like the Houston Astros, who've been to a million ALCSs in a row, to deal with. 
Um, okay, so producer Mike grabbed us Shy Davidi. That's a it's a nice little off the off the cuff uh, get for us. Shy, we appreciate you coming on. I know you're working the World Series mm. and you're working overtime for us. So appreciate mm. you jumping on. Uh, we're talking about tonight's game. Of course, we got two teams that I don't think many people predicted would be here in the end. Uh, built a little bit differently, got to this pathway a little bit differently. Do you see one with the upper hand? Does momentum work in someone else's favor? Does having a chip on your shoulder work in another one's favor? Uh, honestly, I. I discount so much of this stuff when it comes to the postseason. Like, you can really talk yourself into sort of any argument and believe it can make sense. But we're talking about such small samples that it's honestly who doesn't freeze in the moment, who manages to execute, and everything else kind of gets eliminated, right? Like, after game two of the NLCS, you would have thought, all right, the Diamondbacks are going to be lucky to get to game five, right? Mm. And then then they went for the next five games and here they are. And, you know, with Texas, I mean, you thought after the game five collapse that the Astros pulled off and, you know, Houston's going home with uh, needing one win with two chances to advance. Okay. These guys should be good too, especially after uh, the way they picked themselves off the mat in that one. Uh, and then it disappeared and it's all just really execution, right? You know, Dolas Garcia ends up having two massive games for the Rangers and, and here they are. And then you've got the uh, the Diamondbacks just really plucking their way throughout the lineup. You're getting big hits from different guys. Can tell Marte's obviously been uh, really good. Gurriel, Moreno have been very good for them. Uh, other guys have come up with big hits at different times. I, you know, we love narratives. We love to say, oh, this matters and that matters. But but honestly, we've seen time and again how that just disappears in the postseason because matchups change. Baseball is such a, a matchup game that different combinations work. So I, I don't honestly don't think that one team has an edge over the other. I, I like Texas. I like Texas's lineup a lot more than I like Arizona's. Uh, I probably on the whole like Texas's pitching staff a little bit more, although I like the Diamondbacks bullpen a touch more. But the Diamondbacks have been very, very tough. They're playing with a lot of confidence. I would not discount them in this series at all. So if there are some advantages, which you laid out there for the, for the Rangers, which seems pretty obvious, how do the Diamondbacks minimize those things? Like what game planning is, you know, kind of tough to, to pinpoint because a bunch of isolated events in baseball, guys are just trying to do uh, what they're trying to do in the moment. But if Arizona is going to have their situation unfold for them like what is the best case scenario for them in terms of the game state and how they get through these nine innings well it's not allowing Semyon and and um and Seager to build innings for them right if you get if, if they're creating innings at the top of the lineup there and creating a little bit of pressure and then all of a sudden the big boys come up with uh with a chance to do some damage Garcia especially uh that's a really bad situation for Arizona because uh, you know if it if they can keep the games low scoring that's where they're going to be okay but if you start getting into a bit of a slugfest that's when they're going to have a little bit more trouble keeping up I would think so you know I wouldn't expect Arizona to win games 10 to 8 but I can see Texas winning that way and and feeling like that that's kind of style of baseball so for me, the, the, the table-setting duo, and, and Seager is so good, and I know he was cold until he got kind of hot in the latter part of that, that ALCS. I mean, he can absolutely dominate and control a series. 
Uh, he's just such a beautiful hitter to watch. Uh, I really think that this is one guy that can be a, a huge difference. And, and if Semyon's getting on base in front of him, uh, then you're really not going to have much option of what you're going to do with with Garcia and with Lowe and uh, the guys who come in behind them. And, and that's when you know the, the damage can really turn up a notch. Uh, last one for you, Shy. Interesting pitching matchup in game one. Uh, Zach Gallen was in the National League Cy Young race for most of the balance of the season, but he's not had a very good postseason despite Arizona's success. And then Nathan Eovaldi has been kind of this interesting little wrinkle uh, added to this Texas team. He's been very good in the postseason. He's went deep into games. He's got himself out of jams. He really does have the trust of Bruce Bochy, uh, which seemed, which is very, very obvious given how these games have unfolded. Who has the edge in terms of the uh, the uh, starting pitchers tonight in game one? Yeah, I mean, I, you'd think Eovaldi, right? Like, Eovaldi has shown over time, not just this postseason, that he's really good in the playoffs and that he can shut out all the distractions and just get himself to a place where he's able to let his abilities and his, his skills take over. And when he came off the, the IL uh, earlier this summer, like he didn't look like himself for quite a while, but he's really figured it out at the right time for the Rangers. And, and he's been an indispensable part of, of their journey to this point. And, and with Gallon, you know, he was pivotal for them in the regular season and pulling them from, you know, this dark horse team into uh, an actual wild card uh, spot winner. And it just, it hasn't been there in, in the same way. And so you know, I think you put those two things together and you kind of like where the Rangers are at. I think that's, uh, you know, the Rangers are a tough lineup for everybody, uh, for anybody. Uh, but I think Gallon has had times where he's been prone to Homer and this is a lineup that can do that kind of damage. So I, I, I would think that, you know, the Rangers have a chance to get a jump on the series right now. Uh, but again, baseball's dumb, right? He'll <laughs> just, he'll just throw weird stuff at you. You can't predict it. And uh, I think that's why we love it. That's why this playoffs has been so fun, even though a lot of it hasn't gone the way many of us would have thought it would. It all starts at 8 p.m. tonight. Shy, we appreciate you jumping on last minute there to help us out. Um, enjoy the World Series. And either way, a former Blue Jay will win. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks so much. Guys. Thanks so much. Yeah. That's Shai Davidi of Sportsnet working the World Series for us next week. Uh, it will be a fun one. It all kicks off tonight on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and Sportsnet. And can I read you a quick stat? Sure. Okay, this is actually, there's not really words for this. So Chris Middleton on Twitter, not the Bucks Chris Middleton, (laughs) uh, posted this following tweet. The ace of the Diamondbacks in 2001 hit a bird. The ace of the Diamondbacks in 2023 hit a bird. All of the dates of the World Series in games 2001 are the exact same dates of the World Series in 2023. Starting on October 27th, every single game is the same night. Okay. The All-Star Game was in Seattle in 2001 and also in 2023. George Bush threw the first pitch in 2001 and also in 2023. So what happened in 2001? The Arizona Diamondbacks won the World Series, didn't they? And all of those things seem to be aligning perfectly for them maybe to win the World Series again this year. Mm. That's a good stat. I thought I had good stats, just that the Texas Rangers were 8-0 on the road and all the success for the Diamondbacks has come on the road, or at least a large portion of it has come on the road. So is it advantage Diamondbacks in game one? I think your idea of it being advantage Diamondbacks, I think the tweet might be a little stronger. Okay, so that leads into Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. If you want to see runs, I got 
World Series Game 1, over 8.5 at minus 110 on Bet Rivers. These are some high-powered offense. It's Game 1. It's going to be wild. That's my pick. And also, I could go 5 for 5 this week with this one, so hopefully I do. Oh, there you go, which makes <laughs> me feel a little bit nervous about mine. I got a little same-game parlay here on Bet Rivers. I like the mm. Rangers, despite the tweet, despite okay. the home and away splits. Uh, I just think the Rangers might actually make easy work of this World Series. We'll see, but at least I got them in game one, and I'm going to parlay that with Nathan Eovaldi mm. over 16 and a half outs. Eovaldi has pitched four times in this postseason so far. 19 outs and a win, 18 outs and a win, 21 outs and a win, and 20 outs in a win. Bochi likes to let him cook. Mm-hmm. I expect him to go over the number tonight, and I think the Rangers pull this one out. If you're going to go with the 2001 narratives that I laid out, the Diamondbacks won 9-1 in that game. So you could just put a little sneaky future on that. Okay, that was Between the Lines brought to you by Bet Rivers. Take a chance. We're going to go to break and talk to Frank Saravalli ahead of the Heritage Classic this weekend. He's in Edmonton. We'll be back on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Your daily dose of everything NFL. It's the Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Fan Pregame Friday night. Ailish and Justin, Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590. The Fan last night, the Oilers lost 3-0 and the Flames lost 3-0. And these two are going head-to-head at the Heritage Classic this weekend. And vibes are not good, I'll tell you that. Uh, That entire province is down bad right now. We have some audio clips from both Mackenzie Wieger and Zach Hyman. Mesh, mesh together, and it sounds like they could be playing for the same yeah, we team. We promise they're on different teams. They are, uh, but listen to what the post-game media was like in both of those locker rooms last night. You know, it's it's tough. Canadian market, you know, they, they want the best product on the ice, and, um, you know, right now we're not giving it to them. So, you know, as much as you hate hearing the booze, um, you know, it's a bit of a wake-up call for us. You know, we're, we're not uh, a good enough team right now. We're an offensive team. We scored zero goals today. You know, like that, we blame you know a lot of the, the blames on our D zone, our defensive system, our, our defense. We didn't score anything today. You know, uh, very true, Zach Hyman. <laughs> An offensive team that scored zero goals. You don't have Connor McDavid right now, and we don't know for sure about this weekend's uh, if he's going to be in attendance or not. But yeah. it's not looking good for either team right now in some crucial win games here. Listen, the Heritage Classic is going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. The scenes are going to be great. It's going to have all that nostalgia vibe. It's going to be cool. But there are going to be a lot of put-on faces, right? Mm Because it's going to be hard to be real happy to do a little extra media and do a little extra this and that with a major, major event. And both these teams who are both going through it and have to go through it on that side of the ledger. And I think it's going to be a little bit difficult for some of these guys to be real excited about doing what they're going to be expected to do this weekend. It's a fascinating scenario. Obviously... The rivalry is amazing, and I don't know if it doesn't add to it, but there's an extra level of importance on this game because the winner can at least put aside the devastation and the ruin that both these teams are dealing with right now. A win for either of these teams this weekend is huge. Let's chat with Frank Saravelli of DailyFaceOff.com. Frank, what's colder right now, the temperature or the vibes in those dressing rooms? Ooh. Uh, it's a good question. I would probably say 
So it was like minus five here today. I would say the dressing room. Yeah, you can deal with minus five. Yeah, that's it's actually pretty warm for <laughs> that time of year. And that I mean, honestly, I, I brought a big parka. I don't think I need it just yet. I've kind of just been hanging out. It's been good. Okay, so the vibes are poor. Uh, which team is feeling it worse right now, Edmonton or Calgary? I think Calgary, and I think the reason why is everyone kind of believes that this Edmonton team can snap out of it. Can It's not just going to be number 97 returns to the lineup and you know you can ride that white horse to victory. I think it's really more just there's a realization, I think, in Calgary that has set in, even though it's not been that many games this season, but it kind of feels like an extension of last year, doesn't it? You know, the best way I, I could hear, you know, it explained, I, I was chatting with the guys in Calgary this morning, the Russick and Rose show in the morning, and they were saying on Sportsnet Radio that it feels like game 87, game 89, game 90 from last year, as opposed to this being a totally new year. And, and that, I think, is what stands out to me is the cleanest way to explain it. It's really disappointing considering what we were talking about in training camp for Calgary, how different the vibes were. Nikita Zadaroff, we're in the third week of the season, and he's calling out his teammates saying that they're playing like a collection of individuals. And that's there's no more excuses. Daryl Sutter's gone. They, they needed to be different. So what does Ryan Huska, the new coach of the Calgary Flames, want them to be? Because I look at this I look at this team and it's like, there's a talent issue for sure. But if the team was built to be a Daryl Sutter team and now someone else has taken the reins, is there a bit of a discrepancy there between roster and coach? Or is Huska the type of guy who wants to uh, coach a team that is defensively responsible first and maybe has possession of the puck and doesn't take as many chances? Who does Huska want the Flames to be? He actually wants them to be, at least in my conversation with him, a bit of an up-tempo team that plays with some pace and is high skill. Um, I think there's certainly a defensive component to it in that this is a copycat league and the Flames, like the Oilers, like some other teams, are teams that have switched their defensive zone set up to be more of a, a zone approach. And that certainly takes adjustment, but I don't think explains the start that they've gotten off to. And I do sort of, I, I don't think the flames have had any Daryl Sutter roster construction type issues. I think to me, the biggest thing that's standing in the way of the Calgary flames being competitive is right within themselves. It's, Nikita Zadorov hitting it right on the head. This sounds simple, but look at and, and watch really closely what is plaguing the Flames and Oilers this year. It's work ethic. It's compete. And it's not always as simple as that, but when you play as lifeless as both of those teams have to start, there's a reason why they're getting booed off the ice in both of their markets on Thursday night. It's because they're not bringing their lunch pail mentality to work. And I, I hate how cliche that sounds, but watch them. They don't win battles. They don't compete. They don't work hard. And that has to be a given in the NHL. Look, There's a reason why the Flyers have been successful to start this year. It's not because they're talented. They're not. They've got a significant talent gap between themselves and everyone else. It's just that to start this year, they've worked. So I remember a time uh, not so recently, uh, or not in the so 
far in the recent past, I guess that's what I'm trying to say, uh, that the Edmonton Oilers seem like they were protesting with their play and they didn't want to play for Dave Tippett anymore. If it's a work ethic thing, if it's an effort thing, why aren't they giving effort to Jay Woodcroft? Don't know. I can tell you that that's what the 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 Oilers are trying to, to sort out right now. Today was an off day for the team, but I can tell you I was uh, you know, at a, at a Tim's right near the rink this morning, their, their coaches were on their way into practice, ran into one of them in line, getting a coffee. He said, we're, we're trying to sort this out because that's the one part that shouldn't be negotiable is showing up to the rink and working. And I don't think it's a coaching thing. I don't think it's a deployment thing. I don't think it's a structure thing. It's a mentality and no one's going to hand you the Stanley cup in October you can't win it in October, but you can go a long way toward losing it if you don't play well. Did you get any insight from that coach of Connor McDavid's playing on Sunday? Uh, I did ask because what kind of journalist would I be if I didn't? And uh, the answer is they don't. They really don't know. Hmm. Um, I I was told, and not from this person, but I was told uh, last night when I was at the Oiler game here that they'd handicap the chances at around 20 to 25%. Now, I, it feels low to me just because of the gravity of the circumstances and the celebration, the eyeballs, the spectacle. I mean, can you imagine, you know, being in Commonwealth Stadium on Sunday and they explode when, when number 97 comes on the ice? And I've even heard some conspiracy theories like, hey, who gives you more? Is it, Connor McDavid on the power play just for the power play or Adam Ernie in the lineup. I get the argument and conversation, but I also think it's a really tough spot to be in if you're the Oilers, because yes, it'd be nice to to put on a scene for the rest of the league and the NHL. But here's the thing you need Connor McDavid, you know, showing up with a jet pack on every day and ready to, to lap the league in scoring and you need that for the next 74 games, not just on Sunday. Yeah, and traditionally, sometimes the ice isn't always perfect at these outdoor games. And the last thing you want to see is something unfavorable happen for anybody, but specifically for someone rushed back into play. Um, let's shift around the league with you, Frank. Be, it should be pretty good, by the way. Okay, good. It should, it's like should be like minus one at puck drop. That sounds and good. And it is Edmonton. They do, they do make some magical ice here. Okay, that's, uh, it's better. We've had ones where it's been like really warm, too cold. This sounds like might be the perfect recipe for some nice ice. Um, okay, let's chat about Shane Pinto. Of course, we've gotten a lot of different um, pieces of information, some still outstanding. Any insight from you on what the actual violation was? I think that that's what most fans are wondering about. What actually was violated and if you have that information or you have some ponderings on it, let us know. Yeah, so this has been obviously a big topic of conversation, and not only that, but there's also been a lot of different things flying out there on social media and, and elsewhere. This is how I understand it based on the sources that I've spoken to that are close to the situation. Um, the NHL regularly does sweeps. Uh, with the with integrity partners, with their own betting partners. Everyone's got a hand in the cookie jar when it comes to the gambling dollars that have been floating around, not just hockey, but all pro sports. Um, and so as part of that, I'm told that they run a bunch of names through databases, um, players' names, employee names, 
legal names of players as well, which, as you know, can be different than the name they go by to the public. And there wasn't one specific, I'm told, account that was connected, but yet a, a an account of a third-party person. I don't know who that is, if it's a uncle, brother, cousin, dog, whatever it is, whatever the relation is to Shane Pinto, um, there seems to be one that pinged in that system. And we all read the NHL's you know, more or less one-sentence statement, which said, we have no evidence that Shane Pinto bet on NHL games. And by actual fact, the NHL may not have evidence of that. But you're asking yourself, the question is, so if we're sitting here and NHL players are allowed to bet on on NFL and NBA and whatever else might happen in the, the, uh, the sports world, if cricket's your thing or whatever it is that gets you excited, Russian table tennis, uh, you're allowed to gamble on it as long as it's not hockey. So the only logical assumption we can make is that if this account that it belongs to a third-party person that is somehow, some way linked to Shane Pinto, that this person or account must have been betting on hockey. And that's really the only sort of line that we can draw logically from uh, the information that's been provided to me and what's been floating out there, that um, it's, it's a really tough situation. And I think... Part of the issue is the lack of transparency from the NHL. Part of it is the lack of a clear and defined policy from the NHL as it relates to sports betting. You know, the NFL, you know exactly this violation results in this number of games. And I think a lot of people are left right now with more questions than answers as to exactly what unfolded. Uh, I'm sure the NHL will say yes, uh, but in your opinion, can the NHL stand by its protocols? Like, are the, you know, is, is the structure in place or the framework in place to have athletes safely bet on the sports that they're allowed to bet on without uh, much indiscretion? Or, or do they need to clean this up so that there's less gray area? I don't even know if it's so much gray area because I also think there's like a lot of common sense that comes with this, but just having a pure policy in place that you can understand and spells out exactly what you are allowed and not allowed to do. And more than that, like I said, like if you bet on the NFL, uh, you know, you're looking at a lifetime ban. Um, If you bet on another sport while being in your team's facility, you're looking at a six-game bet. Like every, I wrote it in my story yesterday. Every single part of what these, you know, the gambling policy outlines comes with a very specific punishment. In the NHL, it's all subject to Commissioner Gary Bettman, and and part of that is it makes sense. Like they have it for other things that are in place where the commissioner determines on a case-by-case basis, you do X, I'm going to determine what Y is in terms of a punishment. In this case, for, you know, for sexual assault, for domestic abuse, whatever might happen, I understand why that needs to be the case. But with something as black and white as sports betting, it's 2023. We have the technology now to understand what people and players are doing we have the technology to to police it. 
let's put in a policy that makes sense and is in line with the times. Last one regarding Shane Pinto. Do you think this changes anything about his upcoming contract or relationship with the Ottawa Senators? Everybody's seemingly saying very positive things about their relationship and he's welcome back when the time is right. Uh, Still pending a contract, of course. How do you think this shakes out when he's able to play? I don't think this is going to be something that hangs over him. I think he's been very cooperative. I think he's been contrite. You see it in his statement. The Sens could not have said nicer things about him. People make mistakes. Uh, He's going to serve the time. And then when it comes time to signing a contract and getting back in the lineup and playing, yeah, like there was a, a financial and income loss here. There's no doubt missing 41 games, even though he doesn't have a contract. And even though it's not uh, the fine money specifically isn't, for instance, going to the NHL player emergency assistance fund, whenever he signs, and I believe they were really close to a one year, $2.2 million deal. If not one year, um, that was the range of the AAV that they were talking in. If you sign in late January for the same amount, you would only get a prorated version of that for what's remaining. So um, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see them get to that point. And that's all the cap hit is as well to get to that point and say, Hey, this is what we had originally agreed upon. This is where we think the player is. Um, He'll get the prorated share of that. It seems to make sense to me. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see that happen. Frank, Joseph Wall has taken over Toronto. Uh, His heart his uh, his unique gentle nature people are a little in love with joseph wall uh how long do you think he's going to get the run here as a maple leaf starting netminder why not until he drops it i mean uh, that's what i would do this guy has been building and preparing for this moment for a while the leafs have been looking at him in this light for a while there's a reason why he got a three-year uh deal that this specific year in um, in particular is, is for a, a one-way deal. Like they, they thought this might be the year that he could crack uh, the lineup and break through. And at every varying point, especially at the NHL level that he's got an opportunity, look, he, he appeared in four games last year in the playoffs, 915 save percentage. This is a really talented kid that has um, some pedigree at every level that he's played at and by all accounts has, has really worked to earn this opportunity. So if Ilya Samsonov, who they have really no ties to next season and beyond, um, and I don't want to say it was testy, but, you know, they got to an arbitration filing this year, kind of came down to the wire in terms of sorting that out. They're not locked in on him. and, And could you imagine what a boost it would be if you could get through this year with Joe Wall playing as well as he has the starter, even close to it, and envision some of the cap savings of making, you know, adding another guy that he can play in tandem with next year and the salary cap increasing in the summer. All of a sudden, if you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, you can sit there on paper, and I'm sure they're doing this already inside their front office saying, holy smokes, this would be an incredible boost. Yeah, why not this year? Why not trade Samsonov if it gets to that point where you believe so much in Wall and you got Martin Jones uh, in the system still? If you're looking for the money to add something at the deadline, maybe that comes through Ilya Samsonov. Uh, One of the other great stories 
I don't know about the, what did you call it, the gentle touch for Joseph Wall? No. <laughs> the gentle, gentle soul. Nature the gentle nature. The gentle nature. I don't know if Jack Hughes has that, but he certainly has points to start the year. Uh, it's been a torrid start from him in leading the NHL so far in scoring. Is this a hot streak or is this, hey, I'm uh, I'm one of the three to five best players in the world now? No, I think this is the real deal. I mean, I don't know if it's quite going to be at the exact production that it's been to start the year, but Jack Hughes has arrived and he's that good. Um, the funny thing about Jack Hughes and his career path to this point, and it's, it's obviously come in fits and starts two totally different players in terms of how they impact the game. But if you want to just line up and have a little fun on hockey DB later, <laughs> Put Nathan McKinnon's career next to Jack Hughes. And it's kind of eerily similar how it took a little while for McKinnon to get rolling, but when he found it, he's you know, he's been an absolute beast since then. And I think Jack Hughes has some of that. Came into the league, it felt like at 160 pounds soaking wet. And I don't know about you guys, but watching him that first year or two, I was kind of like, man, I hope that guy doesn't get hit too often because every time he does, I'm kind of like bracing for impact. Like you might actually break him. He's stronger. He's more than that. The confidence, he oozes it. And he's so damn talented that it's really an impressive thing to watch his career and everything come together in the way that it has. 99 points last year. This guy's on his way to 115, 120, and I don't see that changing anytime soon. Playing around on Hockey DB is my type of a fun Friday night, Frank. Uh, we'll let you go, but quickly, D-backs or Rangers? Ooh, sorry to bring that one up. Yeah, I mean, that was wrong. I think I'm going to have to hang up now. <laughs> well, enjoy the cold. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. See you, Frank. Uh, appreciate your time. That's Frank Saravelli of DailyFaceoff.com. Yeah, he's hurting about his Phillies. That was, that was a tough yeah, shot. Yeah. He's had he had might a couple not come good on next week, runs. but you know what? They've won enough stuff. In well, they they haven't won the World Series. Well, yet, they've won, guess, they've in, won in some the, games. They have won. They've had some good. You runs. know what? The Flyers are doing well. So they've Philadelphia's fine at Citizens Bank Park. Just on Jack Hughes, quickly. Mm-hmm. We always reference five on five, right? When we're talking about the value of a player, like what a player does at even strength, because that's the condition that the hockey game is played most under. I just want to highlight non five on five for a second for Jack okay. Hughes, because I guess it is a little pedestrian if you want to, you know, spend your night on hockey reference and doing that whole thing. <laughs> but non five on five, so I'll call it like weaponized scenarios when. Elite players want to be on the ice because they have a better chance to score. Power plays, four on four so far. Jack Hughes on ice goal differential. In these weaponized moments so far this year, only six games, the Devils are outscoring the competition 13 to one. So when Jack Hughes is out there and he's smelling blood and it's like, okay, it's time to get going now. It's time to score a goal. 13 to one. He's been so dominant in the off conditions, which are just as valuable goals scored in off conditions as it is at five on five. So Jack Hughes in scenarios where the devils are going for it. I mean, he's been money so far to start the season. All right. We've got Buffalo and New Jersey on at 7 p.m. on Sportsnet 1, followed by St. Louis and Vancouver at 10 p.m. That's all on Sportsnet 1. But, of course, we've got the World Series on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and Sportsnet at 8 p.m. Let's do a quick giveaway before we say goodnight. Blink-182 is coming back to Toronto next summer, August 15th at the Rogers Centre, and we've been giving away tickets all week long. To enter, listen for the code word, then text the code word to 59590. Today's code word is concert. Text concert to 59590 right now to enter for your chance to win. 
If you don't win with us, tickets are now officially on sale at Ticketmaster.ca. Speaking of concert, there's going to be one at the Heritage Classic on Sunday. Yeah. Nickelback. I love Nickelback. And everyone will be fired and up I'm proud to say it. I don't know what everyone's problem is. Just play Burner to the Ground, and those two teams will fix what ails them. That needs to be the pregame music for both Calgary and Edmonton. They both can't win, but maybe they can perform better. Speaking of Burner to the Ground, Nick Nurse is back in Toronto tomorrow night mm. against the Raptors. What do we expect? What do we expect? Maybe a tired Raptors team because they play tonight and they got to mm-hmm. turn it around and then play again uh, at home with Nick Nurse and the Philadelphia 76ers in town. I mean, I expect only good things. I expect only appreciation for what Nick Nurse did over a 10-year period with a large, not the large majority, but a good portion of that being the head coach. Of course, he brought a championship to this market, to this city, to that organization, to that building. So I expect everyone to be pretty fired up about it. But I also expect Nick Nurse to want to win that basketball oh, game yeah. like a lot. And the deep squats will be uh, <laughs> fully in the rotation. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a good night. It's going to be uh, interesting to see how that all unfolds. But I'm sure it'll be a special night for Nick and a special night for the Raptors, especially if they get the W. Over under four and a half squats shown on the broadcast. Shown on the broadcast? That's a Depends good on game state, I think. That's true. If it's the, a tight the, one late. There'll be some red faces. There's going to be four in the fourth quarter. If it's there'll be some the complaints. Quarter. I think he'll get a video tribute, of course. It's Nick Nurse. Oh, yeah. He brought a championship to this team. Uh, it will be a fun one uh, with your Toronto Raptors tomorrow. But yeah, Heritage Classic and World Series. Lots of good sports going on starting tonight. Moving forward, uh, it will be a absolute blast. And just a note on Monday, before we get to all Monday. these events over the course of the weekend, we're going to have Kevin Shevel Day off. Oh, look on at Monday. us go. We're going to talk to the Winnipeg Jets. Ooh. GM will get a pulse on what's going on there. It hasn't been the cleanest start either for the Jets. So uh, we'll try to get to the bottom of that with Kevin Sheveldayoff. All right. You got game one of the World Series at 8 p.m. tonight. Sportsnet 590, the fan at Sportsnet. You've got Buffalo and New Jersey at 7 p.m. on Sportsnet 1. Uh, Lots of fun to kick off your weekend and the Heritage Classic on Sunday. Thanks, everybody. That was a fun one. I got a big hockey game after this. You running out of the studio? I might be running right out of the studio. Get on your horse. Okay. Well, have a great night. Have a great weekend, everyone. That was the fan pregame with Ailish and Justin. We'll see you Monday.